Good morning. How many of you, that's the first time you ever heard the servant song? It was my first time. Yeah, that was my first time ever hearing it. I couldn't sing along. I was struggling with, with singing along because it was my first time. As any time we hear our first song, we're going to struggle to sing along with it. But it's funny, something grabbed me in the middle of this song. I love these words. You know, one of the things we always have to do when we listen to songs is ask, do the songs reflect the truth of the Bible? Songs are important, very important, but not more important than Scripture. Right? So we, we love music, and it is a gift from God to the church. And musicians are a gift of God to the church. But they're not more important than his word. But I, I, love this, I love this phrase. It says, sister, let me... I like first that it starts with sister and not brother. Don't you like that? I like that. Because, well, I do. Because the church is brothers and sisters. And we need to be aware of that, men. That it's not just brothers. It's brothers and sisters. But sister... Let me be your servant. I like that question. First off, it shows that the sister wants to be a servant. She has expressed a will to be a servant. Let me be as Christ to you. So she doesn't just ask and make a request of servanthood. She asks and make a request of servanthood based upon the example set by Christ. Let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. I think the second part is the most interesting part. That part, Johan came to my office. We, I had the blessing of, of having lunch with Johan, and we just fellowshiped, and we just talked this week, and he, was, he had just come off preparing the worship music for the week, and he said, man, I, this, this, this phrase grabbed me, and it grabbed me today when I heard it, and I was reminded of our conversation. He said, I never thought about needing to pray for God to allow others to serve me. That is a difficult thing for many of us to allow others to serve us. So the sermon today is going to be built around that theme. All of us desiring to serve others because Christ served us and because we want to be like Jesus, right? That's what Christians want to be, right? We want to be more like Jesus than we were yesterday. We want the hope of tomorrow is that we'll be more like Jesus tomorrow. So if we're going to do that, then it requires us to love and want to serve others and for others to allow others to fulfill their desire to serve us. We love ourselves, don't we? Right? We want what's best for us, what makes us happy. Our current culture accommodates our love of self. Not only can we have what we want, but we can have today and pay for it later. Instant gratification. 
In the digital world, entertainment is at our fingertips. With the simple touch of a button on our iPhone or iPad, we can have almost any book, any movie, television show, software to make our lives better, painting to desire art, music, album, even sexuality is at our fingertips. Relationships are at our fingertips. Thousands of friends. We have no, maybe a couple real friends, but on Facebook we've got thousands. And we can have them right away. And after all, we're entitled to it. We deserve it. Life has been set up in such a way that even when we don't succeed in our task, we still get rewarded just for being there, for just being who we are. This is America, and we can be anything we want to be if only we believe in ourselves. But what happens when that disgusting attitude comes into the church? What happens when I make God's kingdom about my wants and my desires, my preferences? The greatest commandment of the world is to love yourself and to do whatever makes you happy. But Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love persons other than yourself, first God, then others. Now see that for just a moment. I want you to see the demonic force of love yourself. It sounds so good. It sounds so powerful. It sways our hearts. You know what? I haven't been loving myself enough recently. I need to do more for myself. We even hear things like, if you want to love others, you have to first love yourself. And it sounds so good because, after all, Oprah said it. And we just eat this stuff. It's the same way we do with the food that we put in our bodies. We never read the labels and we just eat it. We just digest it. Just give me more of it. I want more of this crap, more of this filth. Just give it to me. It tastes so good. Good. We don't want to read the labels to know what's really behind these philosophies and the bread of life that comes from the world because it's moldy and it is full of garbage. And what happens when that comes into the church? If you have your Bibles, open them to Philippians. 2-1, and we're going to be reading from 2-1 to 16. 16 verses. God forbid we read 16 verses in church. We're going to read 16 verses. Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says this. 
So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's not saying, are these things really there? He's not really concerned. He knows these things are there, but he wants the Philippians to make these things, the comfort from love, the participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. He wants to make it evident to the church that if they're really there, which they are, complete his joy by doing what? Being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Listen to what he says. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now weigh the world's philosophy of yourself against that phrase. Who will you go with today? Will you go with God or will you go with the world? Weigh those two. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. What mind? The mind of unity. The mind of selfless service. That's the mind to have among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why did God do that? Jesus deserved it from before. Why did God now give him the name above all names? Because the greatest act of God is his mercy and his selflessness in the person of the Son. Therefore God highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We confess Jesus is Lord because only Jesus is God, and only God emptied himself to become a man and die for you. That's why Jesus is the only way. Buddha didn't empty himself. Muhammad did not empty himself. Haile Selassie did not empty himself. The kings of the Old Testament did not empty themselves. You cannot empty yourself. But Jesus did it 
for you and he had every right to not do it and to still receive glory, but he did it anyway. And if we were silent before, our mouths are completely gone now. How great is our God? Therefore, means he's going to conclude his thought. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, and for his good pleasure. That verse is not separate from the whole theme, which is unity of the mind to reflect the character of Christ in servanthood. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, your word is so powerful. Lord, help us to read and interpret it the way you originally wrote it. So that we can ask this question this morning and answer this question this morning. First, let us ask the question, Lord. Let us be eager to ask this question, Lord, in each and every one of us. And collectively, what has your word said to us today? And then to answer, Lord, what am I to do with it now? How do I redirect my life now that I understand your word correctly. Lord Jesus, redirect our lives now. Let us leave here, Lord, understanding it takes something of us to make ourselves a servant, that Paul was not speaking to a wall or to a vacuum, but to people, exhorting them to become servants like Jesus was the servant of all. We pray this, Jesus, in your name, amen. Let me talk about the humble wishes of God's servants. At the time when Paul said this, he was in prison. He could have asked the Philippians for many things while he sat there. He could have urged them to fight for his freedom. Or he could have goaded them to fight against the injustices that were caused against Christians. He could have told them to petition that they fight for the right to speak the gospel in Rome. He could have asked that they march on the streets of the capital of Macedonia, protesting his innocence and the gross mistreatment of Christians from around the empire. I say he could have because it's probably what most of us would do if we were in chains. Get us out of here. But the apostle is a gift to the church, and he thinks according to the way that the Spirit has given him to think as an apostle. Instead, Paul wished for one thing, one thing that could make his joy complete as he sat in that rotten, stinking prison, shackled. One thing they could do for him to make his joy complete that the church would count others more significant than themselves. That's it. 
Philippians. He was the father of the Philippian church. The Philippian church did not know Jesus until there was an earthquake and the jailer who was there with the prisoners pulled out his sword to kill himself and Paul said, wait, we're all still here. Don't kill yourself. Why would he do that? If he lets the prisoners go, he forfeits his life for the life of the prisoners. And so he's going to pull out his sword and just get it over with. Paul says, wait, the prisoners are still here. And what is his response? Whoa, you didn't leave? No, his response is this. Brothers, what must I do to be saved? Why does he ask that? Why does he ask that? It's because the Christian is so diametrically different than the world. He is so sanctified from the world that in the presence of God, men can only ask that question, what must I do to be like that? The very context of the passage today, Paul says in this crooked and twisted generation, be united, be one mind, and they've seen it. Man, they've seen that when those prisoners stayed and when they had the right to take what was theirs, their freedom, those men didn't deserve to be in prison. When they had the right to take it, they didn't take it. They stayed. And they saw it. And it changed that church. And now Paul says to them, if you want to make my joy complete, you want to do for me something right now while I'm in prison, have one mind. Have the mind of Christ. The apostles are dead and gone, but their spirit lives on in every one of us. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teachings, and those of us living in the church today must devote ourselves to their teachings as well. The question then for us this morning is this. Did these men suffer and die along with Christ so that you and I could make church about us or about others? The humble request, I said the humble request of God's appointed leaders in the church is that the church of God do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He's not asking for much. He's asking you to not make church about your preferences. That's not much. We can give no greater testimony to the world that we belong to God and that the word of the apostles is true than by how we live with and for one another. But why? Christ is high and lifted up. Why is Christ high and lifted up? Could you imagine for a moment this one thought? Just imagine this moment, just this thought. Jesus did not consider equality with God. That's the same thing as saying Jesus did not consider as God himself. Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Think about that. 
Just let it sit for a moment. Whenever we think a person is acting arrogant or selfish, we say to ourselves, they think they're God. Whenever somebody tries to get their way, they think they're God. But think about how counterintuitive it is to the teaching of Scripture. That's not how God thought or acted. God had the divine prerogative to send each and every rebellious sinner to an eternal hell. He would have done so. And in the midst of that hell and that eternal punishment, you and I would have glorified him. And he would have had every right to do it. But God did not take what was his, but instead emptied himself. He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to and never used for graciousness and for glory. Wow. Here's the testimony about God given in the Bible. God did not consider his godness, his omnipotence. That means his all-powerfulness. His omniscience, that means his all-knowledge. His authority, his right to reign. His status as the creator, his complete and utter goodness and freedom from any evil in thought, act, or in will, his pure existence, his not needing of anything or anyone to create him, his divine right to justly condemn all of the creatures for their rebellion, the very creatures which he made. God himself in the person of the Son did not consider all of this a thing to be used for his own advantage. But we would have, and we did, in the person of Adam. Go back to the garden. Adam is with Eve. What's the temptation? The temptation is for Adam to be like God and to get to use all of the divine prerogatives and to be a manipulator. Adam shows that he knows not the character of God yet. That the truest character of God is to be realized only after his son has come and died for you and for me. The greatest revelation of God ever is that God would put himself on a rotten cross. Adam knew not God. And Adam wanted to put God in his place. He said, I want to be like God. In the day you eat of it, you'll be like God. That's the temptation. And Adam wanted to seize it. And we think when we act in our arrogance... Someone might say we're acting like God. We are acting nothing like God. You do not act like God when you act as an overseer who does so out of compulsion and who does so to push people down. That's not God. You act like God when you serve others. When every right and prerogative and preference that is yours in Christ Jesus, you sacrifice for the greater good of the church. That's Listen, church, don't confuse my passion with scolding. That is what it means to be like Christ. Not getting your way. But God has exalted him who was slain. God has given Christ the name above every name. We are all on our knees before the greatest act of selflessness that the world has ever seen, the cross of Christ. 
the one person in all the earth who had the right to make life about him and about his wishes and about his desires and his will and about his preferences did not do so but humbled himself even to death on a cross. And God is so glorified in Jesus because Jesus is the man Adam could have never been. The man that you and I could never be, Jesus was. And God is so glorified in him Jesus is the one after God's own heart. I don't care what the Bible says about David. In that sense, don't misinterpret, don't misinterpret what the Bible says about David. David is not the Savior. He is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. The Bible doesn't mean that God, that David, was after God's own heart in the sense that he was Savior. It means that he was after God's own heart in that he desired God more than himself when he did so, but he never did so in a perfect way, not the way Jesus did. Jesus is God's glorification. He trusted God, though he agonized that God's cup passed from him. He agonized, yet he selflessly obeyed. Selflessness begins at the cross. We come to worship Jesus for what he has done for us this morning. We come to glorify his name and to praise him because he so deserves it. Paul's point in Philippians 2 is that Jesus deserved all of our worship, whether he went to the cross or not. But who can speak any words before the throne of God now? If we were speechless before his almighty throne before Christ ascended, we are mouthless now that Christ has ascended, a victorious, crucified Savior, risen Savior. Would we? Would we stand before God and say, how could you judge me when God has given you the greatest gift ever, the selflessness of his son? Would we condemn God? The offer is on the table right now. Bring all of your filthiness. Bring every sin that you've committed. Bring every sin that you are committing right now. Bring every sin that you will commit in the future. Bring it in the garbage bags of your own sinfulness and self-righteousness and leave it at a crucified Savior's cross and I will forgive you. Would you condemn God for such a gift of selfless service? Mm. Listen to what Paul says when he stops for a moment in Romans 11 and feels the weight of this, this truth that God has died for you. God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Jesus' name is above all names. But Jesus' name is above all names because he emptied himself and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but became a human being and died for us. 
Lord, let us conform to your image. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I am lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Make no bones about it. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have his yoke upon you. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He steers you and mine. He steers our lives. But it is an easy yoke. His burden is light. You will find rest for your souls there. Ask yourselves this morning, are the commands of God burdensome? Knowing that Jesus went to a cross for our sins, is it too much to ask that we do everything without grumbling, just as Paul asked? Is it too much? Is that unreasonable for God to ask that of us? Knowing that Jesus was beaten for you, bruised for all of your sins, can we not come to our church without disputing over seating arrangements, musical preferences, sermon style and length, furniture choices, room decorations, programs, Sunday school task, and everything else that tries to disunite us. Is that an unreasonable request of the apostles and of Jesus? Just do everything without grumbling. Just have the same mind. I feel that if Paul and Jesus were among us today in their bodily existence, they'd be pulling things out of the church, left and right. Get this program out of here. Get this, get this style of music out of here. Get, this, get, get, it, get it out of the way. Look at what it's doing to you. Look at how you don't care for your brother and how something like music keeps you from loving him. Look at how something like preference and sermon style keeps you from obeying. Get it out of this church. Is God unreasonable when he asks us to sacrifice our personal preferences so as to shine the light of Christ in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Is there any more wonderful thought in all of history than that God would be proud of us on that day when we give account for how we selflessly served his people and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done for what? I came to church and I, I made it all about me. Jesus, give me my crown. That's not how it's going to happen. In fact, you're going to stand before God and say, I'm so unworthy. And Jesus is going to say, as many... Here, what you're going to say to Jesus is this. Jesus is going to say, when you saw me naked, you clothed me. When you saw me hungry, you fed me. And you, Christian, are going to say, when did I see you naked, Lord? When did I see you hungry, Lord? When did I see you do that, Lord? I, didn't, I don't remember seeing that. And he's going to say, when you did for the least of my sheep, you did for me. When you put others before yourself, you did for me. Now enter. That's what he's going to say. Oh, what a wonderful thought. I ask you, Christian, do you want your best life now? 
right now? Do you want your best life now? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, the answer is yes. Of course we do. What fool would say no? I don't want the best life God has for me right now. Do you eager, eagerly desire to be first? Of course we do. We're running the rat race every Monday through Friday to be first. Do you want to be first? Do you love yourself? Of course we do. No man has ever hated his own body. Then be last of all and servant of all. Mark 9, 35. You want your best life now? You want first? Be last. Be servant. That's your best life. Your best life right now is deny your own preferences and make others more important than your own self. Go after them. Christ made himself the servant of the church. Now you and I go and do likewise. Well, let's answer this question then as we leave. How can you and I serve the church the way Christ served the church? How can I serve the church like Christ served me? That's the question every one of us should be asking. Now, there are more, and this list is not exhaustive, but here are some things. If you're reading your chapter 3, you know these, many of these come from here. There are some additions here. But number one, we have to end the worship wars. we got to end the worship wars. You want to serve this church? What did Paul say in the passage? Do everything without grumbling. Do everything without disputing. we got to end the worship wars. we got to be here and we got to be excited. I, I do have my own preferences for how I'd like to worship. I do. I want you to know that. That if I didn't consider others here as the pastor, the worship music would be different. But it's not about me. And God forbid I divide the church over me getting my preferences here in every single way. And God forbid the same for you. We have to end the worship wars. Trust me when I tell you from behind the scenes, every leader here is working painstakingly to make sure that you are edified. Whether you like the song this morning or not, what about the words? Sister, let me serve you. Okay, so you didn't like the song. All right, so you like it. You would have liked a, a little bit more upbeat. But what about the words? You've got an iPod that has every song you want and you can listen to when you leave. But together, no, listen to me, listen, please. Together, aren't these words more important? Sister, let me serve you. I'm not even a sister. I'm a brother. Brother, let me serve you. And God, help me to see when I need to be served too. End the worship wars. Prioritize the gospel. Number two, prioritize the gospel above everything else. Above everything else we do in this church. Did we preach the gospel? We're do, do and okay, so, so two things happen. For the non-believer, 
The question is, did they leave convicted of their sin? Did they leave condemned of their sin? For the believer, the question is this, which is in our mission statement. Do you love God more today? And do you love your neighbor more today than you did before you came? That's our goal. So believer, for you, it's that. You love God more right now? I hope you do. But the gospel is above everything else. It is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. And we must not be ashamed of it. Romans 1.16. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. That's where the power is. The power is not in greener grass. The power is not in how to be nice to one another. Let it be the case. If it's ever me that's the offense, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, congregation. But if the gospel's the offense, none of us can do anything about it. Pray that the gospel be such an offense that men are broken down to their knees to receive what God has freely given in Jesus Christ. Prioritize the gospel above everything else. Well, we got to start on time, and if we don't, and then uh, we got to make sure that the, the seats are this way, and uh, it's got to be this way. Forget it. Sit, on, sit Indian style. Church, be ready to sit Indian style, because we may not have churches, chairs one Wednesday night. Be ready for it and be excited. The early church sat on stones in caves as they were hiding, and they were so glad about it. And tell me more. Scorpion crawling over their face. So, so you're telling me I can be saved, and I didn't do anything for it? <laughs> Snake. I mean, I mean, it's too cold in here. These chairs are not nice. Prioritize the gospel above everything else. I'm not suggesting that we rip out our carpets. And rooms are important. But the gospel is the most important thing. And if we don't do that, we fail as a church. Fail. Jesus puts fail on our, on our church documents. Fail. You didn't make it about me. You made it about personal preferences. Fail. Number three, don't make church about facilities. So it kind of works with the second one. Don't make church about facilities. We would all love a better stage and a better youth room and a better children's room and better stage lighting and pews or chairs and better sound systems. And these things are important. And the more we tithe and the more we give to this church, the, the more we can have those things. It's, it's true, we, we can. And while these things are so important, they're only as important as a means to the end of preaching the gospel and seeing South Florida reached for Christ. If people, if, if husbands and wives come into our comfortable rooms and leave and go get a divorce, fail. But if they come into our rooms and they got to sit on a creaky chair or a nasty pew and they leave saying, Honey, I love you more than I did. I'm going to put away alcohol today or hanging out with my friends. And I'm going to make me, I'm going to make you the most important part of my life because that's what God told me to do. Oh, now we're succeeding. Hmm. We can look at all the churches around us and church, listen to me, unless somebody's going to win the lottery, and if you have, I'd love to know, please tithe 10%. 
give 20. We'll take it. But if you're expecting that, we can't get it. We're going to have to be content. We're going to have to be content with just seeing Jesus change people's lives. Can we be content with that? Oh. Now, we want other things, and that's okay. That's okay. But they can't become the most important thing. Everything we do here has to be for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission of baptizing men and women, telling others about Jesus, baptizing them in the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the commandments of God. That's the most important thing we do here. We can do that every Sunday, whether we have chairs or pews. Now, I say this now, number four, the fourth thing we can do, we can all be prepared to serve in new programs. We can all be prepared to serve in new programs. The times are different now. This generation expects certain things from the church. And while we by no means allow the world to, di to dictate what the church does, we must never place an unnecessary stumbling block in the way of someone coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As such, you will be hearing about several new programs in our church in the coming months. What cannot happen, what must not happen, is the spirit of selfishness and personal preference corrupt the unity of the bond of the Holy Spirit and of peace that is indwelling this church at this moment in her history? It cannot happen. Do everything without grumbling. Do everything in unity. Whatever the programs and the new ministry initiatives are, be prepared to serve in them with all your might. It, it, it might not be what you want, but pledge to be there and to give yourself fully to it. It is the most meaningful thing you can do to be a children's leader or a Bible fellowship leader or a Bible fellowship participant or a small group participant. There's nothing more important in all of the communities that the community of the church is so amazing and it's the only community in all of the world that's so amazing because it's the only community that has the Holy Spirit. The greatest act of service for your church right now will be your support in these new ministry programs without grumbling or disputing over personal preferences. Let me read that again. The greatest act of service for your church right now will be your support of these new ministry programs without grumbling or disputing over personal preferences. Next, be patient with your leaders. Number, number five, be patient with your leaders. Church leaders are ordinary people called to extraordinary tasks. Listen to that. That's a great definition. I heard that this week. Church leaders are ordinary people called to extraordinary task. That means I go into the bathroom and I see something on my chest just like you do, and you're like, oh gosh, i got to get to the doctor and get that checked out. Just like you do. I get sick just like you do. Dave and Kathleen have children that get sick just like you've got children that get sick. They get depressed just like you get depressed. They sometimes don't have answers to theological questions just like you don't have answers. Sometimes they're depressed. Sometimes we struggle. Are you praying for us? Are you patient with us? Do you understand 
that ordinary people have been called to do extraordinary tasks. Church leaders are ordinary people called to do extraordinary tasks by simply being patient, eager to forgive your leaders when they fail, whether they apologize or not. And let me say something to both the church and the leaders right now. We signed a pledge last week as a church body that acknowledged this truth. There are no perfect pastors, there are no perfect staff members, and no perfect church members. That's what we all signed, right? So we're committed to it. So we're going to be patient with our leaders. And leaders, listen to me. We're going to be patient with them. They're going to, they're, sometimes the sheep aren't going to be here on time. And we're going to want it, but they're not going to be here. And we've got to, we've got to love them more. And sometimes the sheep are going to disappoint us. And sometimes your leaders are going to disappoint us. But if we want to make the joy of the Apostle Paul and the joy of Jesus Christ exceed that, we're going to be so quick to forgive and to be patient with one another. That's not excuse for laziness on either of our parts. It's what to do when humans do exactly what humans do, fail and disappoint. Crucify, number seven, six, number six. Crucify any spirit of entitlement. Crucify it. Get out of it. Get rid of any spirit of entitlement. Again, the question is, how can I serve this church like Christ served me? Jesus was entitled to everything in a way that you and I are not. Crucify it because Jesus crucified himself, and he was entitled. Church, you don't deserve a, you and I don't deserve anything. We don't deserve the best of nothing. We deserve the worst of God's wrath. Crucify a spirit of entitlement. Number seven, I like this one. This was my addition. I just love this. Change the way you speak and the faces you make. I added that. If you read through, Chapter 3, you'll see he's got some lists, and I took them and made them positive, but I added this one specifically. Change the way you speak and the faces you make. Some of you. Listen to this. True or false? You will not tolerate a sharp tongue nor a dirty look from your child. True or false? True. Don't anybody say false. True. You will not tolerate a dirty look or a sharp tongue from your child, right? Why then should God tolerate it in his church? Well, the church is different from the home. Oh, no, the home, the church is an extension of the home. You get your home right, you get your church right. Let's get that right, and then we get our church right. Change the dirty looks. I hope none of us have such a narrow view of God to think that God is so small that he can't grant us new words and new attitudes and new faces. Look at the Gersian demoniac. I'm sure he had a nasty look. He was naked. Stark naked. And he was running around. And he, nobody could keep him chained. And he strapped himself out of it. And he was mean. And some of us are doing that. Or some of us are just so stoic. But when Jesus came to that demoniac, clothed and in his right mind and praising God, is that among us? Change the way we look. 
Change the faces we make. Change the words we speak. Look at Paul on his way to kill sinners. Look at Peter, a nasty fisherman. Look at Zacchaeus, a thief, extorting money from innocent Jews. And what does he do? He runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, look what I've done. I've given half of all I have. And if I've robbed anybody unfairly, I'll pay him back four times. They look different. Every time someone meets Jesus, they just look different. Some of us don't look different enough. Some of us need to ask, what is this face I'm making today? Well, life is tough for me. But listen to me. God has better for you than living in this toughness. God has given you the joy of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, even when it's terrible in life. Joy. Why? Because though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Lastly, don't be apathetic about evangelism. Don't be apathetic about evangelism. How can you serve this church right now the way Christ served you? He told you about the gospel. Every one of us must evangelize. Tom Rainer says this, Very few members share their faith on a regular basis. More are concerned about their own needs rather than the greatest eternal needs of the world and the community in which they live. Evangelism is hard. Maybe you don't know the right way to speak about Jesus, but do you at least see its importance? I mean, maybe you don't know how to stop someone and say, do do you know Jesus? Do you know that if you die without Jesus that you're going to spend eternity in hell? And I I don't want to to hurt your feelings, and I don't want to impose on you, and and, and maybe I, I don't want to disturb your work right now, but can I just share the most important thing in all of the universe that is that Jesus died for you, and if you have faith in him, you'll have eternal life? Do you know that you can stop trying to earn God's pleasure today by accepting Jesus? And maybe you don't know how to do that. I struggle with it. But do we at least say, I can't be happy when I miss those opportunities. Christians, if you're okay with missing opportunities to evangelize, you need to ask yourself, do you get the gospel? Do you? Do you really believe in heaven? And do you believe that that person that just asked you what the meaning of life was and you didn't have an answer, do you really believe that that person, when they said the meaning of life is to get everything I can, can all I get, and sit on my can, and you laughed, do you believe that that person is on their way to hell? Maybe you don't know how to answer it right then and there, but walk away and say, God, don't ever let that happen again. I'll read every book on how to evangelize. I'll read every passage on how to evangelize. And I'll pray in the Spirit always. But God forbid that I would ever be a stumbling block to someone coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God forbid it. Do you leave every wasted opportunity with a sense of shame and a lack of commitment to God? If you do good, because I do, Nothing great ever begins with an apathetic attitude. Is that true? No, no one cures cancer. No one cares about cancer until they learn about it. Guarantee, none of you cared about the Zika virus until you heard it could be in your backyard, and then you were going, oh, I better learn. 
Mothers Against Drunk Driving started when Candace Leitner's 13-year-old daughter was killed by a drunken hit-and-run driver. There was nothing. Nobody cared about it. They went to the party last night. They drove home. They're a little tipsy. They're a little tipsy. What does that even mean? You drink, don't drive. But she didn't care about it till her daughter laid on the street dead because someone decided to play Russian roulette with alcohol and a steering wheel. Don't wait until it's too late to care. The only question of relevance when a person is sitting in a casket is, did he know Jesus is his personal savior? One of my favorite Brian McKnight songs goes like this. All of these flowers for this friend of ours is such a shame. All of these people, all of them equally feel the same. There's silence and weeping. It looks like he's sleeping, the children say. They say he was ready. I hope he was ready is the prayer I'm praying. When Gabriel begins to blow, victory shall be mine. And when the horses get ready to go, angels won't leave me behind. I'm going to be, got to be ready when the chariot comes. Now, despite Brian's particulars in theology, the fact remains the same. Death is no time to start caring about evangelism. You cannot pray your loved one in a casket into heaven. It's done. It's finished. Say it now. And then have the blessed assurance that we don't grieve like those who have no hope, but as those who know that Jesus is coming again to give us new bodies. That's what we believe. Do you have a sense of obligation this morning to Christ and to his servants who have served you before us? Do you feel any desire to join the company of those who served and who are serving the servant right now? Are you ready to manifest in our body the one mind of servanthood that is ours in Christ Jesus? Do you sense your responsibility to be a light to a crooked and twisted generation? Are you excited to see what God can do with a church that counts others as greater than themselves? I am. If you do, take your pledges out this morning and put them on top of your Bible and don't sign them yet. Just take them out of your bulletins and put them on top of your lap and don't sign anything. Don't sign anything. I want you to just take a few minutes of silence before we sign this pledge and really search our hearts. I want us to start by confessing our sins quietly to the Lord. I want all of us to bow our heads and I want us to silently think about our sinfulness and our specific sins of selfishness and I want us to confess them to the Lord.
If you've been a source of disunity in this church, confess it. And God is going to forgive you. If you've been a gossip or sown discord, God will forgive you. Confess it. If you've made church about you and not about others, confess it. It's not God's best for us. I want us to look at the pledge and ask if this is reasonable and ask if we can commit ourselves to this. Remember, we don't want these pledges. You can keep them on your own. Your actions will speak so much louder than your words. And by the way, I just want to commend you. We are seeing it. We are seeing it. But here's what the pledge says. I will not let church, my church, I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I am a member in this church, the Northwest Baptist Church, to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that just aren't my preference or style. If you don't mean it, don't sign it. But if you mean it, sign it and keep it. Would you pray with me? God, unite this church Let us make this church about others and not about our preferences. Let us be eager to submit to leadership, to serve, and everyone eager to build up and edify one another. What would this church be like if every one of us was eager to serve one another the way you, Jesus, served us? Oh, this church could be mighty. And your name is high and lifted up because you are first our servant. God, you say if we want to be first, we have to be last, and the servant of all, make us first today. Amen.